Hey gamers, this is Joe from What I'm Playing Now. I have episode 33 of our podcast that was originally recorded on July 15th of 2014. Some of the news stories I discussed for the week. Camel Up wins the Spiel der Ress Award, which is the German Board Game of the Year Award. GameStop wants to get into video game development. Cliffy B's next game is called Blue Streak. Watchdog ships 8 million units. The PS4 may get early access games, kind of like Steam has. Some of the games I played for the week. Some board games, Power Grid, Goblin Zinc, and a few others. And also I discussed some of the games I want to play. Enjoy the episode. Good evening, gamers. Welcome to another episode of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. This is episode 33. My name is Joe Luzzi. I am the host of the show. Um, send us some emails at what I'm playing now at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at what I'm playing now. Don't forget to drop the G like I always say. Um, hit up our Google Plus page, plus.google.com, the slash sign, then the plus sign, what I'm playing now podcast. And of course, we have a Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash what I'm playing now. Um, if you do follow the podcast and you may have noticed in your rss feed that we do have a logo i'm working on getting everything up into um itunes as well as maybe soundcloud and a couple other audio places that have podcasts so that should be coming up in the next couple of weeks i'm probably going to be putting the logo and a couple other things going to try to pretty up the site like i've been saying we're going to try to start doing that and getting and in, get into that sort of thing so Keep an eye on some of the updates for that. Um, we've been doing the Twitch streams a little more frequently. Um, I didn't get a chance to do one this weekend, mainly because I was out of town. And when I did get back in, did get back into town, I was pretty just much, just extremely tired. I mean, there was I was just completely exhausted. So I really didn't do any gaming at all Sunday night. Once I got back into town, I pretty much just crashed, and that was about it. Um, went to record the podcast yesterday. Still kind of felt like crap. Was able to put show notes together. And get a bunch of stories put together. Um, so let's jump into them. I got a bunch of news stories for the week. Got um, some games that I actually did play for the week. Um, some new, some old. Several board games. Um, so this is probably going to be a board game heavy of what I'm playing now section of the podcast. And um, as far as what I want to play now, I just added in one more game that I had just thought of that was actually coming up today. Um, that I may actually pick up on Steam um, shortly after I do this podcast. So let's hop into some news see what we got going on for the week. Um, board Game Geek. This is a website that I use um, for a lot of my board game news. Uh, I've, I actually listen to their podcast. The guys do a really great podcast. Um, one of the things I saw in their news section was um, the, and I'm going to try to pronounce this. If I pronounce it incorrectly, don't sue me. I am by no means... Um, have taken any German throughout any of my um, educational career or anything. Um, the Spiel des Jahres, um, which is basically um, the Greek-German Game of the Year award, um, I guess went to a board game called Camel Up. I watched a little video on the board game. It looked kind of interesting. Um, you have these camels that you're basically trying to move around the board. Um, and when you move on a square, the camels can stack on top of each other. There's a whole bunch of other variations and different things you can do to the game it's kind of like a betting game it seems like um because you're basically betting who's going to come in first second third kind of like um through moving the camels and stuff like that look like a cool little game um i'd kind of like to try to play it sometime so we'll have to see i don't know if it's a game i would actually pick up and buy 
Um, but definitely kind of looked like a cool little game. That was one of the news stories I just kind of wanted to touch on. Since I really don't touch too much on a lot of the board game news, I stick a little too heavy on the video game side. But um, like I said, in the What I'm Playing Now section of this podcast, um, it's pretty much all board games, I think, this week just about. Um, and when we get there, you'll hear what actually went down in that department. So jump on to some other news stories we have going on here. Um, got a Venture Beat article here. GameStop is looking to getting into the development process of the video game market. Um, when I kind of saw this title, I didn't know if this was basically just a link bait article or if, um, what was going on with this. But it kind of sounds like GameStop is realizing that to bring in more business, they're going to need to have more, ic- for lack of a better word, I guess I should say like exclusive content. Um, it sounds like they kind of want to get in get in with some of the developers early on in the process so they can maybe have levels defined or designed, I guess, um, exclusively for GameStop pre-orders, more than maybe just uh, kind of like the material, I don't want to say material things, but kind of like the the outfits that you kind of see in in the games right now. And there goes one of my cats. Um, Which are basically just like skins, kind of like, you know, Watch Dogs has some of the different coats and you can make the characters look differently. I think they want to take it to kind of like another level and get more into level design and maybe have specific levels that are exclusive to a game for pre-ordering GameStop. And I think this is basically coming down to them realizing that with digital content becoming available both on the PS4 and um, the Xbox One now, um, we're going to get to that article that uh, news article later, um, you know, it's been around on the PS3 and the 360 for a while where you can download, you know, a lot of your games digitally. Um, I I think they're just trying to come up with different ways to entice um, consumers and purchasers um, and gamers to come into their store and continue, you know, purchasing the games from them. Um, I haven't been to a GameStop in forever. I think the last thing I bought from them was a controller for the PS4, uh, mainly because I got a gift card. So I tend to stay away from GameStop personal choice. I actually had shopped there for quite a few years, met quite a few interesting people there, had great conversations, um, but lately it just kind of didn't seem like it was fitting the need for me as far as satisfying my um, purchasing habits, let's just say. Um, so I, I'm hoping that a lot of developers don't don't jump at this, although I'm sure GameStop is going to be waiving some probably pretty decent money around to probably get some of this stuff done but um i, I kind of hope that this that things don't start going this way and that that the exclusive content they get is stuff that the rest of the the gaming market would want um that would be very disappointing um to to basically have exclusive stuff like that so it'll be interesting whether these are going to be timed exclusives for gamestop or whether it's basically going to be for the life of the product i think that's going to be um, one of the big deciding factors um on whether probably a lot of people buy it or not, I will probably stay away from it, but um, I definitely want to follow this one and see what happens later on. So, going on to another story, we have Microsoft giving away $75 to gamers who are upgrading to the Xbox One. So, um, I guess on NeoGAF there was a forum post for this Polygon article um, where some people who had 360 um, accounts were basically getting messages um, from Microsoft stating that um, you, they'll give you a $75 Xbox promotional code um, if you purchase an Xbox One or an Xbox One bundle from a Microsoft store or your local retailer. Um, interesting that Microsoft would be doing this 
so quickly after E3 and basically knocking off the Kinect and having a $100 price drop to where they basically were in line with the PS4 now at the $399 price range. Um, very surprising that they would be basically knocking off another 75 bucks. This um, promotion doesn't seem like it went out to everybody. It seems like you basically had to be... I don't know if really anybody knows who got chosen or how they got chosen, but people are guessing that you had to be um, a fairly good customer. So I don't know if it went off of the time you had your Xbox Live account. Had I not just closed mine down six months ago, um, I had mine since the day one of the Xbox 360 um, up until about six months ago. So if I would have still had that, I would have complained had I not gotten one of these. Um, $75 off, I would have really considered and probably talked to the wife about getting an Xbox One. But um, I haven't even turned on my Xbox 360 in a while, so maybe I should actually see if I have one. Let's jump over to some Cliffy B news. Um, hopefully we're going to be talking about him a lot more in some future episodes here. Um, I think last week we talked about his new um, company that he had started. And um, the next project that he's working on is called Project Blue Streak. It appears to be an arena-style shooter. This is extremely interesting that he was, he's going down this route. It's going to be a free-to-play game. Um, he's teaming up with um, Nexon, which is, um, which is somebody, which is, which is a publisher that's really known for um, producing a lot of free-to-play content and games. Um, so that's, he, he's basically ponied up with and partnered up with a very good company. Um, it sounds like they do have um, a little bit of interest maybe in his company currently right now. Um, but I'm interested to see what he does. Uh, as I've said before, I am not a huge, huge FPS fan. Um, but I will say Unreal Tournament 2004 is probably my favorite first-person shooter um, that I've played over the years. Um, and I've, I have tried them all at least. Um, I'm not a huge fan of them, but I still at least try them and play them a little bit. Um, I just It's just not something that I could sit down and play nightly like I could an RPG or something. Um, I know there's a lot of people that like them, so that's why I at least still try to play them and you know, keep an open mind about it and don't say, oh, first-person shooters suck. No. I, back in the day, UT 2004, I was all over. I mean, just from playing the demo for the first time, I couldn't get enough of that game and would probably still play it to this day if I had it installed. I just don't have it installed right now. Um, so maybe that would be good for a way back Wednesday to throw that on there. That would actually be kind of fun. Hmm. Note to self, I'm going to have to make sure that gets added to the show notes. Um, he also released, um, I guess, a screenshot um, and some concept art of what the game kind of, or I guess concept art, not a screenshot, of what the game's kind of going to look like. Um, it's it, it looks like a pretty cool picture. I'll put a link on to it on the show notes, of course, so you know you can go out and check out the picture. Um, I'm kind of really interested to see what this, how how this game comes out. I think it's very interesting that um, Epic, the game, the company that he left, is also producing a. I guess you could say an arena-style shooter. Um, they're doing theirs, I believe, free-to-play. They're doing it under kind of like an open development, kind of like how he wants to do with his game, um, Blue Streak, here. Um, and that's Unreal Tournament. So that one's supposedly coming back. And it'll be interesting to see if either of these games have any commonalities between them, I guess we should say. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see what happens on there. I know Cliffy B will produce some good shit, so I'm just really looking forward to see to see what he has what he's going to put out for us and just kind of can't wait to play and get my hands on it. So going to jump back to some Microsoft news and I wonder if I can maybe kind of get all these. Let's, let's push the Microsoft story ahead a couple. Cause I got a couple 
of Microsoft Stories further down the line. We're going to jump over to some Hearthstone news. How does that sound? There's an expansion coming out. Curse of Naxxramas. Who knows if I said that right, but that's about what it looks like. Um, I guess this is going to be um, an expansion that's going to be released um, a week at a time, it sounds like, from reading this. I guess it's, there's going to be different corridors um, to this kind of like launch. Um, the first corridor is going to be free. Each additional one can purchase for 700 gold or 699 US dollars per wing. Um, which doesn't sound like it's going to cost that much, especially with the first wing being free. You can buy bundles of them. Um, if you're already on the first wing, you can get them raining three, two, or one, depending on how you purchase them. Doesn't look like there's any bulk discount, which is kind of disappointing. Um, normally, most play, no, normally, most developers will at least give you a little bit of a break if you're buying all the things up front, especially since you don't know really how the content is going to be and if you're going to like it. So since you're actually putting the money up front ahead of time... Um, they usually give you somewhat of a discount, and sometimes I've been burned by that. Um, some of the DLC I purchased for some of the games before, but um, I'm going to play this. I'm definitely going to if you if you're going to want to get into this at all, definitely try to get into it when this is released. I guess it's supposed to be released sometime in July. Um, from reading this article, which is basically from the Battle.net website, um, from Blizzard's website, and it, it sounds like the first. Wing will be free for the first week or the first month. Um, after that, you will have to pay for that wing. So, um, if you ever think you're going to play it, grab grab the game and get get that first wing free, so you can actually see if you kind of like the content before you purchase the the additional three wings. Um, so, or actually, there's five wings, so you'd have to purchase an additional four wings after that first one. Sorry about that. I thought there were just four wings. There are five. I just noticed here on the picture. Um, so. And that one, the, all five would cost basically twenty-five bucks. So it'll be twenty bucks for the four if you get the first, the first one free. Uh, so I'm going to grab that first one, play it a little bit, see how it is. Maybe try to play with a couple of buddies. And this is a game I've been trying to. Wanna, I'm, I'm going to try to maybe get my wife to play to see if she likes it at all. Um, especially since we had played the Adventure Time card game a couple weeks ago, um, and she kind of liked that. I'll see if I can maybe get her under some Hearthstone, and this way I can have somebody to play against. Um, jumping over to a Polygon story, The Evil Within, which is, um, saw a little bit of this at, um, PAX East. Um, they had some displays going on for this. This game looks pretty wicked in some of the videos that I've recently seen. Um, this horror game just looks totally sick. Um, I guess in Japan, if you want to play the uncensored version, you're probably going to have to pre-order the game. Um, I guess the game is game being released there with what they're referring to as the Zero Day, C-E-R-O-D, not Zero Day, Zero D rating, which is basically um, they're 17 and up. Um, I guess the game originally would get a Zero Z, which is 18 and up. So I guess just that one year there makes a big difference for them um, with what can be put in the game. Uh, I guess there's basically going to be a gore mode um, from this article, the Polygon article, from what it sounds like, to where there's just going to be a lot more blood and just everything going on. And Check out some of the, the video links that um, you can find for this article. I think on the Polygon article that I have up there, they're going to have um, a preview of the game. And from what I've seen, um, I didn't watch, the, I don't know if the, I saw this particular video, but the one I saw, or I think the couple that I've seen so far, just look 
completely off the hook. I mean, this game just looks looks really good. Um, it looks like it's going to be really suspenseful, and I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to this one. So I just thought it's kind of interesting that if you actually want to play the gorier version um, in Japan, you basically should pre-order it, because that will be a way where you can get that additional DLC, that gore version DLC, um, available to you. So I'm going to jump over to a game that I need to get back to here soon, and that is Watch Dogs. I have not played this for about two weeks now, I think. Um, I do want to go back and finish this one, and I just need to maybe sit down maybe over the weekend and try to knock it out. Um, but it sounds like this game has definitely helped um, Ubisoft sales. Um, I guess the, their total sales jumped by 374% to $489 million. That's ahead of their expectation, which was basically only $421 million. Um, They've shipped 8 million units of Watch Dogs. As we know, the game actually sold 4 million in its first week, but that's about the only official number that we've been given um, as far as sell-through goes. Uh, they're, they're saying it's expected to sell through about 6 million during its lifetime. I would expect that it would probably maybe sell a little bit more than that if it did 4 million in its first week, but uh, we'll have to wait and see because I know I didn't purchase it the first week. I think I purchased it, um, I think it was the second week. Although, maybe I did get it the first week, because I bought it on a Sunday, I think. My wife picked it up for me on a Sunday. I can't remember if that was the first or the second week of the game. It might have been the first week of the game, so maybe I did actually contribute to that actual $4 million of the first week. I didn't think I did. I thought I maybe may have contributed to the sales afterwards. But um, it definitely sounds like this game helped, um, helped Ubisoft's numbers. It is a good game. If you haven't played it, definitely give it a look. Uh... As I've said before, it's not the game that I thought it was going to be, but it's still, but it's still a good sandbox game, and it's still something to experience. Because I have a feeling, um, probably Watch Dogs Two and some of the later games in this um, in this storyline here are are going to be really good. Uh, probably something along the lines of I'm hoping it would be as good as some of the later Assassin's Creeds. So we'll have to wait and see if they can actually turn Watch Dogs into um, the hit like what Assassin's Creed Four was. Because I definitely enjoyed that so jump over to some sony news before we jump into some microsoft news because i think i got three microsoft stories after the sony one now here's an interesting one i've talked before about a lot of steam early access games um steam early access games are basically games that are sold on steam that are unfinished games and you can purchase them um, basically now, well, they're basically well, the developers are continuing to develop the product um some solicit um ideas from the community. Um, you can help with bug troubleshooting, I'm sure, and stuff like that. Um, but the games are basically unfinished, so you're purchasing an unfinished product. And in reading this Polygon article, um, I guess Adam Boys, who is um, um, someone from Sony, he had an interview with Gamma Sutra, and they were actually talking about, um, Adam Boys was from Sony, was talking about Sony considering an early access program on the PlayStation 4. Now, I find this really intriguing because one of the biggest things that they even mentioned in the article, and I guess that Sony's really working on and trying to iron out, is at what point does a game considered or meet a standard for release um, to where it's not so buggy, it's unplayable? Um, I think we've talked about games before on, on the podcast where 
Um, some games have been pulled from um, Steam Early Access, mainly because they were unplayable, or because the developer said one thing and actually delivered another, you know, another another product almost, or you know, different gameplay than what was stated in in what the people actually purchased. So, it'll really be interesting here how Sony handles this, especially because once you buy the game, you have it, um, and you have it throughout the whole development cycle until the game gets released. Um, it's kind of like the whole Minecraft, what Minecraft did with, with how they developed their game. Um, and, it, and it worked for Minecraft. And I don't know if it will work for everybody. It, it seems to be working on a lot of the games that are, out, are coming out on Steam Early Access. Um, I haven't heard too many people get too screwed over yet. Um, but as, as we've talked about in early episodes, you know, we bought into Cube World here. And considering we haven't seen an update in over a year... I do kind of feel screwed over Q World, um, but we did talk a couple episodes ago where there was an adventure mode supposedly coming out. So we'll see if it actually ever gets released. But um, we're definitely going to have to watch and see what Sony does with the PS4 on this. Um, I think an early access program could be rather interesting. My guess is it would be a lot of indie titles doing this. I can't imagine a AAA developer actually producing a game and developing a game um, and letting people play early access with it. Um, Considering how most of your AAA games, they try to keep everything under wraps pretty much until close to release date, um, even sometimes from reviewers. So we'll have to wait and see how Sony handles this and what they actually release on, on this if they actually ever do come out with this program. So jump over to some Microsoft stories now. Xbox One, I guess there was a conference over in Europe, the Develop Conference, where a Microsoft representative basically stated he wasn't too sure about the Microsoft Xbox One becoming a developer kit, um, as was stated um, before the Xbox One was released. So basically the story goes, and this is pretty much a non-story because Microsoft came out and refuted what he had stated, all Xbox Ones are supposed to be able to be turned into to, to developer kits eventually. Um, he stated he did... he. Wasn't too sure why it ha- hadn't happened yet. Wasn't too sure if it was still going to happen. And pretty much everybody went apeshit. Um, Microsoft came out very quickly and said, Well, we still plan on doing this. Nothing to see here. Move along. So that's about it. We'll jump to the next story. This was something interesting I didn't know about the Xbox One. That just recently in one of its latest patches, you can actually now try demos. Or basically do a try before you buy demo. I did not realize that the Xbox One had not supported this up until just recently. Um, I think the PS4 has had this for a little while. I know I've downloaded several trials to games. Um, I think shortly after the console was released, I was downloading um, a few demos to games. Um, And you can actually purchase the games right from within the demos. Um, I believe Sony's had that on the PS4 pretty much all along, I think. Not 100% certain. Don't hang me if I'm wrong on that one, but um, I guess Microsoft just actually recently updated the Xbox One to be able to do this, which I think is a great thing, especially with their ID at Xbox initiative, which is basically their huge indie initiative that they're pushing on the Xbox One. So on a lot of those games, I think it's great that indie developers would be able to maybe put up a small demo of their game, let people play it for a little bit, um, and then basically purchase it right from within the game. Yep, buy now, which is what you used to be able to do on the 360. Um, So... I was, I was kind of just surprised to hear that it was something that Microsoft had just threw in there, considering you had that functionality way back early on on the Xbox 360. So as I said, we got one more Microsoft article that I want to discuss. From GameSpot, Xbox One's getting digital pre-orders soon. 
Um, an- another thing I didn't realize that the Xbox One didn't have, but they're getting. Um, Sony actually just started this recently, so it's not like Sony's been way ahead of the game in this one. Um, this actually just came shortly a little while ago, I think, with the PS4. Um, but Xbox One is going to offer this as well, where you can, I think Sunset Overdrive in October is going to be one of the first games you can do this with. You can actually do a digital pre-order. Um, I'm, the article doesn't really say about preloading the game like you can with some of the things. I know like sometimes on Steam you can actually preload the game. Um, I think Sony on their PS4 is actually offering this now on certain games. That was something that's brand new to Sony as well, where you can do a preload, where it basically kind of like at midnight on the day of the game launches, it kind of like they flip a switch and the game is already on your hard drive on your system and ready to play immediately, which is super cool if you're going the digital route. Um, I didn't read any, I didn't see anything on the article about that, but it sounds like you're going to be able to pre-order digitally. You also may get some nifty digital bonuses um, for doing a pre-order, just like anything that you pre-order. People like to always give you a little bit of swag on the side, so that's a cool thing. Um, but it sounds like Microsoft's doing some good things with the Xbox One from those articles. So our last article is going to be about Sony. One more little Sony article, and it's basically about AAA games um, on the Vita. Um, as we all know, I picked up my Vita, really enjoying it. Sony's thinking that um, Western gamers over here may not get as much AAA content as it would see maybe over in Japan. It's a completely different demographic, different gaming t- culture style. Um, and kind of what Sony's saying is, you know, for your AAA content here in the, you know, on the West, um, you have the remote play feature with your PS4, which is very true. So it 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 seems kind of redundant to have a developer actually make a game just for a handheld that you can pretty much play on a console um, and just use the second user screen and just play it off the PS4. So I still need to try that on, on a couple of games and actually see how it plays. I, ever since I've gotten the Vita, I've actually never tried the remote play feature. Um, since I have the PS4 and I can pretty much have the TV whenever I want, my wife just lets me play the games. I haven't really felt the need to do the second screen thing yet or the remote feature, but it's something I need to try and actually should familiarize myself with, I guess I should say, so I can maybe better discuss that. But um, we'll have to wait and see what type of games actually come out. I mean, they've, they've been releasing a lot of good um, third-party titles and indie titles, I think, are coming out on the Vita, and I'm still enjoying it and playing it whenever I have a little bit of downtime. I wanted to take it this past weekend with me to Pennsylvania when I went and plugged it in to charge it. My wife told me, don't forget it, it's in the kitchen. I had it up on the one shelf charging in there because I couldn't find a plug where we had that was open. We got so many damn things plugged into this house. And, of course, um, when my brother got here to pick me up, grabbed my shit, ran out the house, texted my wife 15 minutes later and said, the Vita is still plugged in, just unplug it whenever you get home. I fucking forgot it. So I was kind of pissed that I didn't have it with me um, because I did have some downtime during the ride there um, and when we got there to be able to play a little bit, and I was kind of bummed I didn't, so... Oh, well, live and learn. She told me, don't forget it, and I still fucking did, so go figure. She was right. I was wrong. All right, let's jump into the what I'm playing now part of the show. Um, So this past week, I actually made it to the um, comic book store where I used to work years ago. And uh, board game night is Thursday night. They also have um, some Pathfinder Society people that meet up. And I was able to play a couple of different board games. Um, some of them were really good. Some of them I really enjoyed. Well, most of them I enjoyed. I did enjoy all of them. One was, I thought, very good. So we'll start off with the first game I played, and let's see how bad I massacre the title of the game, considering 
half of the instructions were written in French. It's Le Phantom de l'Opera. It's basically a Phantom of the Opera game, and it's based around um, all of the characters from the Phantom of the Opera. It's a board game, kind of like a whodunit style board game. Um, it's a two-player game. One person plays as the Phantom. The other person plays as an investigator. You have, I think it's eight different um, people who are basically um, suspects. At the beginning of the game, the Phantom will draw a card, and that is basically the person who... That character, I guess, is going to be the Phantom. And the investigator basically tries to figure out by process of deduction... Um, who that character is, and they do that by basically moving the characters through um, the opera house on the board game, and you get to move a couple of characters, and then the Phantom gets to move a couple of characters, and it basically comes down to if if the characters are in a room together, um, the Phantom can either at the at the end of kind of like a round, I guess you could say, the Phantom will basically. It, kind of like show himself or not he'll, he'll show himself if he's actually in a room with another character now i got very lucky early on in this game in one of the first turns um at the end of the round i was able to basically eliminate three quarters of the people just by luck as we were trying to figure this game out um because neither of us had ever played it uh, before so we were basically reading the instructions and seeing what all the different character cards do because each character has a specific movement or, or I guess I should say a special movement that they can do. Um, like the girl who was a pink card, I can't remember any of the names only playing the game once. She was able to use the pink um, board part on the board map where she can basically move between rooms kind of like it was like a hidden room style thing. She was moving kind of like behind things and was able to move large distances across multiple rooms in the opera house. Um and each different um, character had had a different special ability that they can do. Um, one character's special ability was he can move um, a blackout, like basically like a blackout token, which would basically turn off the lights in that room. Um, there was another room or another character that had a lock that could be moved. So towards the end of the game, I moved that character and put the lock close to where several characters were so they couldn't move out. So this way they were forced to be together, and that kind of exposed the Phantom and actually won me the game. Um, I didn't think I was going to pull off the win there towards the um, as it got towards the end. Um, because basically at the end of the round, however many people are still left suspect, that's how many people you move the one character on the bottom of the board map um, left or right. And the object is for the Phantom to get her all the way to the right side of the board game, which is basically out of the Opera House, and basically she flees the country. I'm trying to keep the character in the Opera House, so basically we can figure out who the Phantom is. So it was a pretty interesting game. The first time we played it, we had some fun. Um, I'd definitely like to read the rules again after playing it the first time. Um, like I was saying, we were kind of struggling with the rules there for a little bit because we really didn't understand it then kind of once we played around we were like okay it's supposed to be a 30 minute game it probably took us our first time a little bit of closer to an hour to actually play because um, we kept having to refer to the rules and all the different um, special movements the characters did there was a little icon on the bottom of their card that kind of showed you what they did but it was it was kind of just hard to remember what all the different things were and after we played a couple of rounds I think if we would have sat down to play it a second time we probably could have knocked it out in a half hour, but there was a big game of Power Grid starting up, which was the second game I played. And Power Grid, I will say, was probably my favorite game of the night. Um, we had five people playing. I think you can play up to six max. Um, I can't remember the 
the map we were using. We might have been using the base U.S. map that actually came with it. I guess there are multiple expansions you can purchase for this game, which are basically different board games of different different countries. And the object of the game is to basically create a power grid. During your turn, you will purchase um, power units, um, which are going to be either maybe coal, wood, garbage, or not nuclear. It was. I know it's not nuclear, but I can't think of the word that it was. Um, but those are the, basically the different type of energies you can use. And you basically then buy cities, and you, you have to have power grids as well as ed- energy units on those power grids to power your cities. And the object of the game is to get, um, I think it was, fifth, whoever, had the, whoever had 14 cities first and was able to power the most won. Um, and on the last turn... I was actually able to do that, um, or on my last turn, I was able to do that, um, and I was actually just did it by like about having six bucks left over. So you get more money based on the amount of cities you have, and it's really interesting because the one part of the game is that makes the game extremely fun is when you're buying um, basically the power grids, the the energy grids, um, what supplies the energy to your cities, because it is an auction-based system. So whoever, ter- whosever turn it is, whosoever player's turn it is that, that at that time, they'll pick the card that they want, and they'll basically say how much they want to pay for it. So if the card is says, you know, like, you know, it's worth 10, it could maybe cost maybe two garbage to power maybe three cities. Um... That person would say, "I'm going to bid ten on this," and then you go around the bo- you go around the table, and everybody starts bidding. And towards the end, if one guy would have bid me up um, when it got to me purchasing um, my last energy piece, he could have easily wiped me out, and I would not have been able to afford um, the four cities I bought in that last turn. Luckily, he let me get off lightly. And I, I was able to snag that um, power utility um, and actually power the four cities that I then plopped down when it came back to being my turn during the purchasing phase of the city city time, and um, I was able to pull out the win. It was it was a fun game. It is a long game. It took us probably about two to two and a half hours to play, I think it was. Um, but everybody at the table had a blast playing this one. Um, I think we were all new to the game. Um, so we weren't it the, the first round took us a little bit to get through but we had several people there kind of watching over us helping us and giving us some guidance giving us a few tips and everything um, I had started off um, one gentleman gave me a very good tip um, when it got to be my turn I started off and bought a couple cities along the one coast and kind of just bought down all this coast and then kind of just expanded out from there um, and we we just had a great time with the game um, that would definitely be a game I would purchase I could see you know, this would be a great game for parties. Um, or, you know, if you have a family, you know, and have a family game night, the game isn't that complicated that kids wouldn't be able to play. Um, I think it's suggested um, here from when I'm looking at the Board Game Geek, what, Board Game Geek website. It looks like it's about 12 and up, and that sounds about right. Um, but um, had a blast with that one. Uh, the last game was a game that we played called Goblins, Inc., Describing this game is going to be extremely difficult because I'm still trying to wrap around my head what the hell happened while we were playing. Um, basically, each person is plays um, has like a couple of goblin tokens, and there are two board game pieces in the middle of the board or in the middle of your table. And the object is you're going to draw draw these little kind of like token cards and put them down on your board map and. You're playing in teams in this game. 
and each board map or each section you know there's there's two different two different parts on the on the on the table here and each one is a robot and you're trying to construct a robot and after you construct the robot bot, you and your um you and your companion and the person who's on your team basically then fight the other team in trying to destroy the robots so you basically have combat with the robots and it's completely crazy um the, the, this game, it took us a little while to get it going, um, just like the other ones. This was the first time we played it. I mean, we had just unboxed the game um, when we started playing it, and we read through the rules real quick. And I'm sure we probably did a couple of things wrong, but I think we got most things right. Um, but but building the robots and then fighting with them and seeing um, what all happens during combat, because if you, you you're basically building your robot with these with these little chits with the little squares and there's metal on there and basically you want metal touching metal if it ever got to be a point to where damage was taken on your robot and metal was maybe no longer touching metal maybe you had um on the grid you had a couple of pieces um over here to the one side and a couple of pieces over here and this middle piece gets knocked off these pieces would then fall off your robot and your opponents would actually get those tokens and that's how basically you scored the game was how much damage you did to the opponents you also had cards that you then selected um before combat um based on what type of damage or what type what what type of things you may you may be able to accomplish through the combat um it was a crazy crazy little game i've never played anything like it before um i can't i i can't even think that it's like any other game i, I played because once we got to the part where we were fighting with the robots everybody at the table kind of just looked at each other and sat there with a big grin on their faces like okay this game's pretty fucking cool um, none of us really were expecting that. We really weren't too sure what to expect going into the game, having just unboxed it. But um, it was definitely, definitely a cool game. Um, this one, again, is um, ages 13 and up, so it's a little bit older than the Power Grid one. And I would say um, mo the movement of the, the robot when you're basically trying to move and then fire was probably one of the more confusing um, confusing aspects of the game because they give you this kind of dial that you had to spin the wheel on and kind of like say, okay, I'm going to face this direction or I'm going to move this direction and then I'm going to fire in this direction. And it kind of got confusing depending on where you were sitting. If you weren't sitting face on with your with your robot, if you were sitting off to the side and basically during the game, I think everybody's supposed to get up and move seats, something we didn't do, and everybody, when it was their, their turn to move the robot, they, everybody always sat there and was just like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing, you know, and this is how I'm going to move the dials, but then when we went and said, well, this is what I wanted to do in case if I dialed the damn thing wrong, um, just because it was a little confusing. Um, but um, it was it was a great board game night. I'm probably going to go back there this Thursday, um, try to do do a couple more board games, and that was pretty much about what I did for the week game-wise. I really didn't have a chance to play a lot of other things. Um, I continued to play Banished a little bit. Um, nothing really to report on Banished other than I'm going to try to maybe do another um, playthrough this coming weekend. Um, Ultima is definitely going to be on for tomorrow night. We're going to continue the Ultima 1 playthrough on Wednesday on our Way Back Wednesday feed. But let's jump into the What I Want to Play Now part of the show. A um, couple of games that are coming out. Um, no Man's Sky I've talked about before. GameSpot did a huge write-up um, last week, I think it was. Um, they had a four-day write-up, uh, basically a lot of stuff that they were able to obtain from E3 and sitting down with the developer. And uh, No Man's Sky just looks incredible. 
If you haven't seen any of this stuff that I've talked about before, I think we talked about this in one of the real early episodes because we saw it during the VGX Awards is when it was announced last year. Um, it looks incredible. Their whole procedural generation and what they're doing with this almost infinite solar system of a game just sounds like it can't even be done. Um, but it looks like they're going to pull it off. So everybody's just kind of like sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for this game to to be released. Um, There's a bunch of stuff I want to get back into with Elder Scrolls Online. Um, I guess there was last week um, Bethesda announced, Cinemax announced, a whole bunch of stuff coming for the road ahead in July. Um, I haven't even finished reading all the stuff that's coming up, but what I did read... Um, I'm glad I went with the six-month subscription, and I'm jumping back into that game, and I, I want to start playing that again. Um, it sounds like they're doing a lot of good stuff for the game. They're trying to make um, the game a little more single-player friendly um, and not probably have the veteran ranks be so much of a cliff and a wall um, because the veteran ranks are kind of a grind, and I think they may try to alleviate that a little because it is such a huge, huge drastic change. Um once you hit the veteran veteran ranks from playing that whole one to fifty game, I mean it's just a night and day type of, night and day type scenario. So, um, the other game that I wanted to mention real quick, I think I've talked about um, on a previous podcast, Wayward Manor. Um, this was a game that was written. Um, the storyline was written by Neil Gaiman. Um, of course, I was a huge Sandman fan working at the comic book store. Um, this game's actually being released on Steam. I think you can go out to their website and buy it. Um, Humble Bundle actually has it for $9.99. I think it's on sale today. I actually may be picking this game up tonight um, and checking it out. We'll have to wait and see if I actually do that or not. So I may be able to talk about that next week. It looks like a cool little game. Check it out if you're a fan of Neil Gaiman. Um, I am. I'm definitely really... I've been looking forward to that game. I actually didn't realize it was coming out today. So for $9.99, I may be treating myself tonight to a little bit of that. And that's going to be it for episode 33 of the What I'm Playing Now podcast. Send us any emails. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about or see or talk about or interview or anything. What I'm Playing Now at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at What I'm Playing Now. As I always say, don't forget to drop the G. Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash then the plus sign, What I'm Playing Now podcast. And of course, watch for me tomorrow night on twitch.tv slash What I'm Playing Now for our Way Back Wednesday. I will be doing some more Ultima 1 playthrough. I think we hit level 9 last week. Um, working on getting the hit points up, working on getting the stats built up. I know I've got my strength and a couple other stats um, actually improved already from going around to some of the different. Um, signs that um, signposts that i've found um i need to go finish maybe a couple more quests maybe hit a couple more dungeons try to level up a little bit more and just work on the hit points i think level nine is the highest i can go but i basically think right now is i need to grind for some money probably pay the king some money to get some mass hit points and then see if we can maybe get a spaceship and go in outer space and see where the end of this game takes us Um, but that's going to be it for this week's episode of what i'm playing now Everybody, have a good week. Let us know what you're playing now. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.